This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The following is a sponsored program. Zoomer Radio and MZ Media Incorporated do not endorse any of the statements or opinions made by the contributors. has a history that goes back maybe 5,000 years into ancient Egypt, where there's a very, very famous medical papyrus. And if you look at that in detail, then a whole series of remedies for things like cough, sore throat, skin problems, stomach upsets, are all based on garlic as being the active ingredient for the remedy or for the treatment. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Bussin, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. On today's show, we'll learn about the health benefits of Allison. We'll hear how to create your own workout mix. We'll discuss why your joints are your healing centers. And lastly, we'll find out about yoga for your mojo. But first, a little bit of business. Today's show is brought to you by Alamax Canada, a company that delivers real, bioactive, stabilized Allison. Using only the freshest garlic from Spain, Alamax is the trusted source for a high-quality and effective Allison supplement. The manufacturers of Alamex have dedicated their time to researching this fascinating plant and all of its antimicrobial and antibacterial benefits. To fight infection and stay well, take Alamax. For more information, visit Alamax.ca. My first guest, Peter Jossling, is director of the Sussex, England-based Garlic Centre. He's a trained chemist graduating from Nottingham University in England. He has over 18 years' experience in the international health food industry, devoting his time to conducting and publishing clinical studies on a wide variety of natural products, including garlic, hypericum, ginkgo biloba, plant cellulose, vitamin C, and stabilized allicin. He's written several books and peer-reviewed, edited, written, and published many scientific articles on the action of plant-based extracts on human health. Welcome to the show, sir. How are you? Thank you very much. I'm great, and uh, I'm more than delighted to talk to you today. Perfect. And we're going to talk about your research into the health benefits of garlic, and in particular, a compound derived from it called allicin, right? That's right. I mean, garlic's uh, chemistry is quite complicated, but we've learned a lot about it over many, many years. And so the very first few steps of the breakdown of garlic are pretty straightforward, and we know what we're talking about. And allicin, if you like, is what we call the mother substance from fresh garlic. It's the active agent, and it can show some incredible properties that we're still discovering even today in the 21st century. Why did you start studying garlic? Do you love your Italian food, or was it something more basic than that even? <laughs> yeah, no, I love, I love Italian food. There were several reasons, really. I was uh, working in a medical publishing company for a number of years, and we were publishing articles in medical journals, and Cardiology in Practice was one of the journals, and we actually sourced an article on garlic and its role in cardiovascular disease. This is some time ago now, but it was very interesting to me to realize that there was some research to suggest that this allicin could possibly be responsible for reducing cholesterol and blood pressure. So we commissioned the article, and at the same time I was working in central London, so I went to the British Library to do some research on garlic. Mm -hmm. And to my surprise, I found more than 2,500 articles, clinical trials, clinical evaluations on garlic and what it could do for general health and well-being. So 
I became really hooked. My generation, my parents were not garlic lovers. Uh, they thought it was French foul-smelling stuff. Right. So I didn't. Yeah, I didn't really grow up on garlic. But once I got to university, things changed, and obviously, once I got into work, it became an obvious thing to go and research. And I was just gobsmacked, really, by how much information and data had been collected since the early 1920s and 30s, when they first kind of isolated this allicin compound, although it's very unstable. And so the research has really developed over the last 100 years. It's quite incredible. You find garlic fascinating, clearly, and, and you found out a lot of information. Can you share a bit about its history in terms of how it's consumed and, and how it's used for treatment? Yes, yeah, sure. I mean, that's that's the most fascinating thing about garlic in general, is that it has a history that goes back as far as honey. So honey and garlic are a great combination. Everyone knows that. Yep. And it goes back maybe 5,000 years into ancient Egypt, where there's a very, very famous medical papyrus called the Codex Ebers. And if you look at that in detail, then a whole series of remedies for things like cough, sore throat, skin problems, stomach upsets, are all based on garlic as being the active ingredient for the remedy or for the treatment. Hmm. And we also know from that papyrus that the workers that built the pyramids they actually downed their tools and refused to work on when the Egyptians ruling at that time, which is like 4000 BC, stopped a daily ration of garlic because it was costing them too much money to bring it in, we believe, from the Kyrgyz desert in Russia, where it almost certainly originated. So they refused to work on. Why? Because they knew that something in that garlic was keeping them fit and healthy and keeping them strong. And other cultures ever since ancient Egypt have worshipped and prayed to garlic as a compound that can strengthen your bones, strengthen your immune system, prevent you from picking up infections, prevent you from getting coughs and colds. And obviously in modern times, we've also moved on and seen that it can reduce cholesterol and blood pressure and therefore reduce heart disease, reduce the risk of secondary heart attacks. And so the history is incredible. And that's what made me so enamored with it, if you like. Okay, it's an aside from my technical uh, abilities, but I wrote 365 tips, tricks, and little-known facts about garlic. <laughs> and it's been one of my most popular booklets ever, ever produced, because there are so many anecdotal stories from almost every culture in the world over the last four to 5,000 years. We so actually, everybody yeah, has benefited, and that's what is really fascinating about yeah, it. Yeah, we actually have a garlic festival here in Toronto uh, that just started up a few years cool. ago. That's uh, great. Yeah, completely devoted, all, all things garlic, and it's over in entire weekend. So you and your partners decided to set out and try and stabilize Allison, which I think you mentioned before is quite unstable. Why did you do That's that? That's right. Well, we knew the basic chemistry of garlic and we knew that it that basic garlic does not contain any allicin. Oh. There's no allicin in garlic, okay? What you find in the individual cloves when you break open a bulb, when you cut that clove in half, you can analyze it and in the central core there's an enzyme called alanase. 
And then in every single cell that surrounds that central core, there's a sulfur compound called allene. Funny names, but they were they were named in the 1940s. So when these two agents come together, their cells break open, they start a chemical reaction, and the first thing they release is this allicin material. So it doesn't matter whether you cut, crush, cook, boil, chop, stir-fry, mechanically process your garlic, or smash it with a heavy knife like the Spanish do. Yep. You start that reaction, and the allene and the allenase come together, and the first compound they release, everybody agrees this, is called allicin. Now, unfortunately, when you do it through any of those methods, the allicin is incredibly bioreactive and unstable. So as soon as you've crushed the garlic, the allicin is already disappearing and turning into maybe one to 200 different sulfur compounds. So nobody around the world had been able to capture this allicin and stabilize it until I led a team of uh, chemists and chemical engineers and biochemists. And we managed to achieve this back in the very late 1990s, early 2000s. So what we did was we basically played a little trick on the garlic. We crushed the garlic. We removed the allicin as it's being released by using just water that basically dilutes the solution down incredibly. And when you dilute anything that's toxic or aggressive, obviously its stability goes up because there's less of it in solution. Right. So it was a little bit of clever chemistry. Plus, we also realized that we had to control the temperature and the pressure of the reaction because that guarantees or determines, if you like, how much allicin is actually released from a garlic clove or a garlic bulb or a garlic head. So we analyze the garlic before we use it, we test it, we then crush it, we remove the allicin using just water. I mean, we did used to use, we tried using alcohol and various other solvents, but in the health food industry, nobody wants anything to do with alcohol. Nope, they were pure. Yep. So we ended up using just a plain, well, deionized water, and we end up with a solution that is absolutely stable. And that's the first time that that had ever been achieved. And what that meant was that we could go on and convert that liquid, if you like, into a powder. That could go into a capsule, and then we could do some clinical research comparing it to a placebo, i.e. with no allicin, mm-hmm. to see whether there was any clinical benefit for getting rid of infections or reducing cholesterol or getting rid of viruses. And that's what we've done over the last 18 or 19 years. We've achieved all of that. And now we have huge amounts of data to show that a brand like Alimax, for example, which is stabilized allicin, can really be a modern antimicrobial agent. And and that is just quite remarkable in today's 21st century, where we're worrying specifically about bacteria that are becoming resistant to pharmaceutical antibiotics. So that's kind of a very pocket history of the story of how we of how we made the stuff. Well, that is interesting. And, and so the data has told you that, that there are some practical applications for the Alimax. What can we use it for? Well, as I mentioned, it has antimicrobial ability. So right. therefore, it's, it's used around the globe now to kill funguses, virus, 
bacteria. There are lots of bacterial species, for example, that we can kill very, very easily. All gram-positive bacteria, which include things like MRSA, I think you call it, or MRSA, we call it in the UK, yep. which is a pernicious bacteria that kills people. It's methicillin-resistant, so it's resistant to pharmaceutical drugs. The allicin can also prevent coughs and colds, so that's proven in a double-blind placebo-controlled study. That means that you can get rid of a cold virus and you can also prevent it from coming back to infect your body again because, as you know, I'm sure, people get a cold, they're off work for two or three days, they go back to work, and then a couple of days later they get, they get the sniffles again. Right. It's very, very common. Why? Because there are so many different viruses in the atmosphere today. And, you know, countries like the UK and Canada and the US they allow thousands of people to come into uh, across their borders every day. And these people don't just bring in their luggage. They bring in their viruses, their bacteria, their friendly bacteria. They bring in all sorts of things. And sometimes that can upset the local population or indeed themselves. And that's why it's really important to understand that stabilized allicin has a unique feature in that it will kill bad bacteria but it leaves friendly bacteria like lactobacillus, acidophilus, bifida, it leaves them alone hmm. and it helps them to replicate. So it's very, very uh, selective on what it kills. And that makes it very, very valuable in terms of killing these resistant bugs. I mean, there are a certain number of pathogens that uh, the American Center for Disease Control calls the escape pathogens. They are like six bacteria that everybody around the world in microbiology is worried about. And allicin, I'm not kidding you, stabilized allicin will kill all of them. Wow. Under the right conditions, with the right dose, the right circumstances, you can kill Staphylococcus aureus, you can kill tuberculosis, you can kill Acinetobacter baumani. These are all bacteria that are mostly, not completely, but mostly resistant to pharmaceutical antibiotics. So we are on the cusp of something quite remarkable here where you have a garlic extract. Let's, let's remember it comes from fresh garlic and yet it is able to kill some of the most pernicious pathogens known to man. Plus, it also helps cholesterol, blood pressure, the immune system. We know that it boosts an underactive immune system. We know that it can actually mildly suppress an overactive immune system. And these are all properties of garlic that have been kind of noted for centuries. But now we have real evidence to prove that it actually works. That's fantastic. Are these microbes, are they developing a resistance to the allicin or is that not oh, happening? That that's a really good question. Thank you for asking that. What's interesting is that we know from research that has been done and published that the allicin is a small molecule, okay? It's tiny, its molecular weight is 162. And what it does when it meets, let's say, an E. coli bacteria, it actually comes along and penetrates the cell wall of that bacteria. So the E. coli, which is trying to give you an upset tummy, give you diarrhea, make you feel sick, it penetrates the cell wall. And once it's inside the cell wall, the allicin deregulates all of the proteins and enzymes that that bacteria needs to produce to be able to replicate and become more of a problem for you.
Now, antibiotics work in a different way. They are normally, not exclusively, but normally much bigger molecules. And what they do is they come along and they insist on sticking on the outside of the cell wall on various receptor sites that the E. coli bacteria has on its cell surface. Right. Now, what the E. coli does very cleverly is it says, aha, I know what this antibiotic is. I'm going to change or move my receptor site. So it moves it, and that means that the antibiotic no longer can bind. It falls away. It gets washed through the body, and it's completely useless. And that is what leads to pharmaceutical antibiotic resistance. Now, the other, the other major feature which I must, I must mention is that the other reason that antibiotics become resistant, and this is only human nature. When you go, when you get given an antibiotic to go home with, what do you do? You take two or three capsules, you feel an awful lot better, and you throw the rest of the bottle away. Right, you don't do the full that, course. Yep. That causes antibiotic resistance, and that's what we as human beings have done for the last 50 to 60, 70 years, unfortunately. With Allison, you're very, very unlikely to develop any antibiotic resistance because it goes into the cell wall, and that's the real cool thing about it. Well, that's fantastic news and very exciting. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have on the show today. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure, and I've really enjoyed expunging the benefits of Stabilized Allison and Alimax for you. Well, we hope to hear from you again. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss how to create your own workout mix on The Tonic. The Benvenuto Group is an owner and developer of quality high-rise condominium and rental properties in Toronto and Montreal. The Benvenuto team is passionate about delivering quality living spaces, top lifestyle amenities, important services, and innovative design tailored specifically to its residents in every particular submarket. The Benvenuto Group seeks out the finest urban neighborhoods and designs projects to allow its residents to enjoy the benefits of both their property and the exceptional locations that they become a part of. The team surrounds itself with leading professionals and consultants and pushes them to conceive great places to live, to work, and to play. The Benvenuto Group is currently designing several new projects in Toronto, Montreal, and Chicago that will not only become exceptional places to live as an owner or as a renter, but that will deliver some of the highest levels of sustainability, energy efficiency, and comfort, and will set the standard for informed residents. For more information, please visit thebenvenuto.com. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. Welcome back. Our next guest, Kathleen Trotter, is a fitness expert, nutritionist, life coach, monthly guest on BT Montreal and Rogers Ottawa, and author of books, Finding Your Fit and the new Your Fittest Future Self. Welcome back to the show, my friend. Oh, I'm excited to be here. I love chatting with you. So when you pitched this idea to me, what mm -hmm. popped into my head 
was creating a really cool playlist on my iPhone <laughs> for when I run or teach spin class. But creating your own workout mix, which is your pitch idea, totally. is not re- that's not really what we're talking about, right? It is not what we're talking about. And I love the fact that you go to music because... I don't listen to music when I work out. I actually listen to uh, podcasts. And I think that that fits with this idea of a workout mix because a workout mix is about figuring out what works for you versus like how much strength, how much cardio, how much yoga. And what goes along with that is like, what are you listening to when you do that, right? And if I listen to too much music, I kind of feel like, my head is going to explode. Whereas if I listen to something interesting, like a podcast, then right. I don't even think about the time going by. This is for cardio, obviously. Right, but, right, right. So, you know, I think one of our main messages is just kind of do you and like make sure whatever you're doing for your workout mix right. fits something that you're actually going to enjoy. What is a workout mix? Okay, you, sorry. What, yeah, we should you? definitely start there. <laughs> Basically, a workout mix has three pillars. Okay. Your cardiovascular health. Yes. Uh, so things like running, biking, it could be aquafit, walking, and then it has strength training and then some type of flexibility, mobility training. So that could be yoga, that could just be stretching. And the thing about it is that all three pillars are really important. So you want to make sure that you're picking exercises within each of those pillars that work for you, but that you're getting a balance. And this is a process because what works for you in your 20s or your 30s is very different from your 40s or 50s. And then your 60s or 70s are completely different because your body changes and it needs different things. And what you might not realize is as you get older... Strength training becomes actually way more important for your overall mobility and health. Totally. Strength training is so important. I think your point, you know, I look at my 20s, I did Ironmans, and I now look at my 30s, and I run, and I bike, and I I do much more strength, I do much more Pilates, and it's a combination of what my body needs, but also my time and my priorities. Like in my 20s, really, I could do me as much as I wanted. I had very few work and life priorities. And now I have a business that I run. I have a studio. I have a partner, James, like, and people in my life need attention. So it's kind of a combination that I know my body needs more rest and recovery and strength and Pilates. And I also just know the people in my life need me. Right. But it, it could also be as simple as, you know, my work week has changed. Yes. So, you know, whereas maybe you used to be the person that worked out at night all the time. Totally. Because that's when, you know, your spouse could take, watch the kids or, you know, maybe you're a weekend warrior because you work hard during the week and the free time you have is on the weekend. But then maybe when you're scaling back on your work, now you have all this free time and it and it changes, you know, what you do and how you do it and when you do it. Absolutely. And what you enjoy is going to be different. But your ultimate why, like, could also be... So let's take my dad, for example. Okay. He loves hockey. He's 77. He's an amazing man. He plays hockey four days a week. He bikes in Montreal, everywhere. And all his life, he's done those things. But the older he gets, the more he has to do things that he doesn't love to do, like strength training, to your point, and mobility training, because he finds that if he doesn't do those things, he can't do the things that he loves. So his sort of ultimate love exercise hasn't changed. He'll always play hockey and skate, but he has to do less of that stuff and more of the things that he kind of needs, the other pillars that support his love. And I would say that's very similar to me as well. Mm -hmm. Um, My love, love, love is running. But I know that if I want to run for the rest of my life, I need to do things like stretching and mobility and core. And again, to your point, the strength training becomes so important because running is a single leg activity. So every time my leg hits the ground, it has to dissipate all the forces. So it has to be strong enough so I don't get injured. 
Right. So other than running, what do you, what's in your current mix now? So what are you doing to support your running? So I run, but I just don't run as many days as I used to run. And I don't run as long. Like when I was doing Ironmans, you know, that's a marathon. So I was right. running, you know, an hour, two hours at a time. Now I run sort of between half an hour and an hour, three to four days a week. And then I bike. I just bought myself a Peloton. So I'm like mm. addicted to it. Yeah. And then I make sure I do strength training and Pilates two to three days a week. And then after every single run, it's a non-negotiable 10 minutes of like yoga and stretching, which is honestly the thing I dislike the most. And I have to make myself do it. Right. Like make myself. It's so hard. Right. But I'm like, Kathleen, your future self, like your 50-year-old, your 60-year-old future self will be so happy if you do this. Right. So I went from running three or four times a week and spinning three or four times a week intermixed with the running mm-hmm. and maybe doing one strength to now doing two or three hit classes a week. Uh, one or two strength classes mm-hmm. a week and I've scaled back spinning to once or twice and no more running because I can't run anymore. Mm. Oh, that um, almost makes me want to cry. It makes me want to cry too because uh, running was terrific for me. It kind of mm. helped me keep so my weight down. The, the brain and, too yeah, just, and your mental health. And, the runner's high, all that and mm-hmm. I've had to replace it and spinning comes close with the you mm-hmm. know close to the runner's high and, and the calorie burn but you kind of have to make those adjustments and for Absolutely. me for me, it was just uh, you know ankles, knees I just couldn't do it anymore and well, you know that's just the way it is. And I think ultimately what you have to say to yourself is that daily motion is a non negotiable and then you figure out the mix that works for you so and this mix concept is really the premise of my most recent book is this that you curate your own health so the um, inspiration for the mix was I was sitting with one of my best friends actually and we were getting pedicures and she was like Kathleen should I do Legree Pilates and I was like well there's pros and cons should I do like should I run I was like well there's pros and cons and so after sort of 45 minutes of everything she asked for me being like well here are the pros and cons and for you the pro is this, but the con is this. She was like, Kathleen, this is the concept of your next book, this idea that there's no inherent right or wrong way to exercise. It's like you have to figure out the pros that work for you and curate your own health mix. So you can go through, you know, when you're trying to find the pillar of cardiovascular fitness, for example, you need to have something in that pillar. So brainstorm, you know, 10 different activities from running to aquafit to um, water running and then note, okay, so what are the things that are the most convenient for me? What are the things that I like? What are the things that I hate? Because you're not going to be able to make yourself do things that you hate uh, long term, right? Right. And sort of use yourself as a resource. So ask yourself these questions like, in my lifetime, when have I been the most successful? Okay, was it when I was running? Was it when I was playing a sport? And then use that information to create your mix. And you can do that for each of the three categories. So, you know, for your cardiovascular, you go through, okay, let's say, okay, well, I'm going to bike and I'm going to swim. And then the next one is like strength training. Okay, so where will I do that? Do I want to join a gym? Do I want to do it at home? Uh, Do I want to take a class? Like a lot of people need some guidance and some form. Do I need to get a personal trainer to show me the ropes? And then with the flexibility, again, do you want to do like yoga? Like my mom loves yoga. So for her, she wants to do like an hour of yoga. Well, that's great for her. But you know what? If I did an hour of yoga five days a week, I'd shoot myself. So I can make myself do 10 minutes of yoga at home. Where right. she wants to go to a yoga class and be with that community and she meets friends and she like thoroughly enjoys that hour of her life. There's other connotations to the yoga she's doing. But, you know, for me, it was fitting the yoga in meant I was taking time away from either the strength or the cardio. Yes. Right. And it's hard when you do the strength and the cardio. It's really hard to give up those minutes for essentially stretching. Yeah. But you do have to do it. 
Absolutely. And I think your point was really great that, that there's other things she's getting from the yoga. Right. So sometimes it's about asking yourself, okay, like what you said with the running, okay, one of the things I'm getting from it is that high. Okay, so how do I get that? I can get it from spin. So with the yoga, I really appreciate that one of the things she gets is alone time. Right. She gets separate space from her like family obligations. Mindfulness. And But she also gets the mindfulness and meditation. So for me, I'm like, okay, I think those are all really good things. But again, I meditate every day, but I want to do it in my own time at home. Um, and I don't want to spend an hour doing it and half an hour to get there and half an hour to get back. So right. sometimes it's about looking at an activity like yoga or strength training or whatever and sort of say, how do I get those benefits, but in a way that serves me? Right. And a lot of that's connecting it to the four fitness personalities that I talk about in my first book, which is like, do you want to, the gym bunny, the home bunny, the competitive bunny, the busy multitasker. So, you know, if you know in the past, you've always been really successful when you've gone and joined a sporting team or something, maybe you want to go to CrossFit or maybe you want to join a softball team or maybe you want to join a soccer team. And that, again, it's like knowing you and doing you. Right. So what's going to motivate you to actually get off the sofa and out the front door? Because again, if somebody said to me, well, how are you going to get fit is playing softball five days a week. I tried that and I hated it. So, you know, that's just not going to work for me. Right. I mean, some of it's trial and error, but you know, there's so much of it's trial and error. I completely, that curiosity factor. Yeah. But there are some things that maybe don't belong in that you should really not waste your time with, right? Like in terms well, of these pillars. if it's injured you in the past, if right. you hate it, if you've tried it like 10 times and every time you try it, you're like, okay, this doesn't work for me. And, or if it is reinscribing your weak links. Like if you have an issue with your rotator cuff muscle anyway from sitting at a computer and you have no. terrible posture. So maybe until Stop you... looking at me when you say that. Because <laughs> no. I have the world's worst posture. No, you do and, not. Uh, I do. But like maybe for you until you fix your posture, boxing's not great because right. that like rounds you forward, right. right? Or maybe for you, you have to do planks and not crunches because again, your posture's already terrible. So I think your point is right is part of what you have to do is look at your body. Like if you're somebody who's uber, uber flexible, then maybe your routine only needs 10 minutes of flexibility, not an hour. But if you're somebody who's all their life has done tons of strength training is so tight that when they bend over to pick something up, they pull their back. Okay, so maybe you need to do less strength training and more core and flexibility. So look at what your body needs and then try to fit that. That's fantastic advice. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. We didn't even get to analyze your routine. Yeah, well, we kind of did. We were discussing it along the way. But we'll hear back from you next month, right? Absolutely. My pleasure. Fantastic. We've got to take a short break. But when we return, we'll discuss how your joints are your healing centers on The Tonic. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural Liquid Greens. Vital Directives is a center committed to helping people ignite their innate healing power and remove the barriers of fear that keep them in pain. Through changing their client's mindset and teaching them to connect with their body, the Vital Directives step-by-step process helps them focus, feel safe, and get immediate relief. 
Their process involves removing the physical limitations induced by chronic pain while creating personalized, high-level self-care and preventative measures. They believe that significantly reducing chronic pain is just the first step. Through powerful physical exercises and mindset shifts, coupled with solid support system, they inspire people to transform from the inside out. For more information, visit their website at vitaldirectives.com. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Roxandra Mitria is the founder of Vital Directos, a leading center for vibrant and healthy living, preventative health, wellness, growth, and rejuvenation. At Vital Directives, they want you to awaken your body and celebrate life. Roxandra has an unwavering belief in each person's inherent capacity for healing. Having had her own experience with the limitations created by chronic pain, she created a unique process that allowed her to heal her body. Roxandra has dedicated her professional life to teaching her clients the processes that will ignite their innate healing capacity, significantly reducing chronic pain while developing the skills to create and maintain pain-free active lives. Welcome back to the show. Thank you, Jamie. It's great to be back. So when you were here last month, we discussed mindset and pain management, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. But today we're going to get a little bit more specific, right? Yes. So the first thing that you look at when somebody comes to your clinic is what? I look at their joints. I look at their joints in their feet, in their ankles, in their knees, in their hips, the entire spine, the shoulders, the wrists. So basically, I just do an overview of the movement of their joints first. Okay. And what does that look like? Are they doing tests? Are you having them stand or walk? What do they do? We're actually starting from the very beginning to do a series of very simple movements. Mm -hmm. And as they're learning the exercises already, we're using those simple movements to assess and for them to also understand where they're at. Okay. And when you're noticing the joints, what are you looking for? What are you noticing? The way they move. The way they move compared to how they're supposed to move if they're really functional and everything works great in the body. And why did you decide to look at the joints first? I consider that the joints are true healing centers for the body. I know that many therapists and practitioners are looking at how the muscles are working and how the alignment is. They're comparing left and right sides. They're doing a whole bunch of tests. They measure angles and so on. And for me, from my 25 years of experience, it became apparent that if the joints that are not moving currently really well, if they start to improve their working just a little bit, that has a tremendous effect in the whole body. So I chose to start at the joint level. Right, because as our mobility improves, we're able to do more. And as we do more, we get more confidence and faith that, you know, healing is going to progress, right? Absolutely, yes. Okay. So you focus on the fascial system, right? What is the fascial system? Let's explain how it interacts with our body. What is that? So the fascia is a connective tissue. Okay. It's a tissue that surrounds basically every single structure in the body. The bones have their own fascia. It's called periosteum. The lungs, uh, it's called pleura. The pericardium of the heart is a fascia and so on. So when we talk about fascia, we don't talk about just muscles, uh, muscle fascias and tendons and ligaments. That's what I thought we were talking about. Yes. So, But now, if you imagine this system, this intricate system in the body that's continuous from the tips of the toes to the top of the head to the tips of the fingers, and it is organized in chains. 
in continuous chains. So now let's say the fascia of your diaphragm or the fascia of your kidneys are included in chains, in fascial chains that, that go throughout the whole body. So now this is the beauty of it because this system that is interconnecting everything in the body transfers forces and tensions. So if there is a restriction somewhere, if you get right to the point where you can create some release, through this beautiful intricate system, forces start to get transmitted all the way up the chains. And then there, there are releases that happen in the body that we can't micromanage. That's the innate intelligence of the body. What do you mean by that, the innate intelligence of the body? Well, the body is designed to function really well. Um, I think that the body is is an extraordinary healing machine. It is designed to heal. If you think, you know, if you you cut yourself, there is a scarring process that starts immediately. If a bone is broken, then the healing starts immediately. So this healing power is innate. innate. We came with it as part of how we are designed. So... If we're not healing, if someone is not healing, it means that something is put in front of that healing power that, you know, so if we start to remove all these barriers, the body is just doing what's designed to do. And that's your approach. Your approach is is to remove the barriers to allow the body to heal itself or or allow that process to progress, right? Yes. The body is really intelligent. The body doesn't need to be taught anything. The body came highly intelligent. Right. And working very well. So if it's not doing what's supposed to be doing, it's not that it became suddenly stupid. Right. We just need to take out of the way all the barriers and all the things that are preventing it from healing. I see. Okay. So do we have to micromanage our body? Like, is that how it works? Is that what you mean? Or, or you mean no, something? I mean the exact opposite. Okay. Because... Micromanaging means that we don't believe in the, in, the, in the intelligence of the body and things that have come as part of, of our cellular structure. So I'm not saying that we're not working in a very precise way at Vital Directives. We're very, very precise in what we do. But not micromanaging the body for me means that you give it some information that it makes sense for the body, for how it works, for how the joints work, for how tensions are traveling through the fascial system. And then the body is taking that change and starts to make changes of its own. Okay, can you sort of describe how that, like just give an Mm -hmm. example of of, uh, how that would work. So let's say that someone uh, would come to, uh, to see me because their back hurts or because their shoulder hurts. Okay. So as I'm looking at all their joints, I might start very well to work with the joints of their feet and okay. of their ankles. Yep. Because if there is some misalignment there, with every step they take, they, they're creating more tensions up the body. 100%. Now, if we make one small change or two small changes in the ankles or the feet... With every step they take, they're starting to unwind some of this, these tensions. The whole fascial system is put at ease. The alignment improves throughout the whole body. So now, by the time we get to actually work in the lower spine or at the shoulder level, there's a lot less resistance to work with. Can you tell in the moment when somebody's fascia 
is being relieved? Like, is it a pain issue or is it more a mobility? Like, is it a range of motion that tells you that things are better or is it a lack of pain or is it a combination? A combination of both. And what, like, it can be an improvement, an instant improvement in in the mechanics of an ankle, let's say, in the movement of an ankle or a knee or a hip or diminished discomfort level. But what's beautiful is that the person, it's not just me deciding that these changes have occurred. Right. The person, my client themselves, they feel the difference. No, no, in but, the but, moment. But that's what I'm and asking. And they feel you. it both ways. Okay. Mm-hmm. They feel the range of movement improving and they start to feel better. Is it also the circumstance where it might take a little bit of time for this to, to work through? Like, so if you're making a subtle adjustment to somebody's, uh, you know, a joint or, mm-hmm. or something in the foot, might it manifest in a few weeks or months or would it be immediate in your experience necessarily? It's both. Okay. It's both. Sometimes a great change can occur right there as we're working and we both know it, it has happened. And other processes take, take longer depending on what we're working on and what's going on in their own bodies. Okay. You use, a, I'm paraphrasing here, mm-hmm. you, you call the body smart, right? Like mm-hmm. you use words like smart and stupid and, mm-hmm. you know, and you say the body is smart. Mm-hmm. What is that? I, I mean, it's, it's cute language, right? It's, it's, it's evocative. <laughs> yes. but, but what does that mean to you, like from a diagnostic perspective and from a treatment perspective? The body is intelligent because it has everything that it needs to heal, like I mentioned okay. earlier. We don't uh, determine the, skill, uh, the, the scarring process or right. the healing of a bone or the cellular processes. We can prevent them from happening at their regular speed or we can help them take place the way they were designed to. So to me, that is the, the smart element, the smartness, the intelligence of the body. And I like to use that. Okay. So now you're working with the smart body. And and let's say I came to you. I actually have my right elbow. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not constant pain, but when I uh, use it to lift weights, sometimes Mm -hmm. I I guess it's tendonitis. Mm -hmm. So how would you work with me? What would you actually do to help my, my tendonitis in my arm joint? If I well, to. we would look at how your hips are aligned first okay, and how the rib cage is sitting on top of your pelvis, because if the rib cage is not aligned, then we cannot really work with the shoulders. Then we would look at your shoulders and then see what happens. In see, the I, elbow. Picked the, I picked the wrong one. I got at the end of the line, right at the elbows. Mm-hmm. If I had picked a knee one, mm-hmm. we would have started at the feet, I bet. Right. Yes. Most likely it's not, you know, there's not a recipe. Okay. It's like what. Also, what my eyes see that uh, needs to be addressed first. So, but you know, we might as well if we start working together for to help your elbow. We might look at your hand and your wrist and decide to start there as well. Okay. So, yes. So it's not trial and error, though, right? It's not trial and error. No. Okay. No, it's not trial and error. Okay. And, yes. and so, like, if somebody were to come to you for help, mm-hmm. there's a series of diagnostics that you're going to do, and then from there, you're going to take it forward. There's a series of tests and, and simple movements that we do, and then I create the path, and they also get to feel where they're at. So it's empowering for them, too. Instead of just being told, I see this, I see this, there's, you know, they start to feel what's different on the, on the, the ankles or the shoulders or. Perfect. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have. Uh, Next month, you're going to come back to discuss the unexpected causes of wear and tear on the body, right? Yes. I'm looking forward to that. Me as well. We've got to take a short break, but when we come back, we're going to discuss yoga for your mojo on the tonic. 
The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. Hi, this is Jamie Busson. I'm not only the host of The Tonic Talk Show, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic is a health and wellness magazine distributed with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in the most affluent neighborhoods in Toronto. It's also available free on racks at over 150 locations across the GTA. For more information about Tonic Magazine, visit tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, you'll love Tonic Magazine, and vice versa. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. My next guest is Rochelle Winson. She's the founder of Chi Junkie Yoga Studio. She's also the resident yoga expert on CTV's The Social, a regular instructor at OMTO and contributor to Tonic Magazine. She wrote an article all about yoga for your mojo on the June issue of Tonic Magazine. Welcome back to the show. Thanks, Jamie. It's a pleasure to be back. So not only did you write about the topic for the magazine, you and I recently did a segment on an episode of The Zoomer on Vision TV all about this topic, right? We did, and that was so much fun. You even had me doing kegels for crying out loud. <laughs> yes, definitely. So for those who really want to be like offended and grossed out, you can watch the show with me doing kegels. And <laughs> how does yoga help us with our libido? Yoga is a great way to help with the libido because we know that flexibility um, is a given when you practice yoga. Right. But it also is a really nice way to help boost a healthy body image and self-esteem. And, you know, the more confident that we feel about ourselves, the better we feel about ourselves, the more we feel a freedom to kind of express ourselves sexually. Yes. Um, you know, and also life gets really busy, and sometimes when we're super busy, it can disconnect us from our loved ones, from our partner, and yoga is a really nice way, a nice practice to come back to being present, to being in the moment, and to find connection and disconnecting from everything else. It's really that, you know, token line of disconnect to reconnect. And then I would also say that it helps you to create time to connect with your loved ones, even if you do classes together or doing partner yoga. And then, of course, the poses that I'll chat through with you today will help to increase blood flow to the pelvis, which helps to increase sensations of arousal, which naturally give you a little boost of sexual energy, boosting your mojo. Yeah. Before we get to the poses, do Mm -hmm. do you find that you have a lot of couples that are coming to your studio? I would say yes, definitely. We definitely have a lot of couples. I would say Usually the women show up first right. and then they love it and then they bring their significant others. Right. And the men have to be convinced or their partners have to be convinced to, to come in and do it. But once they do it, they, they, love, re- it. they, re- they love it and they realize the benefits yeah. of it. There's so many benefits. And once you feel the benefits in your body physically and mentally, it becomes a game changer and it becomes a staple. So what are some of the poses? Let's go through some of them and and maybe you can describe them briefly and then perhaps, you know, expand upon some of the benefits of the pose in terms of strength and mobility, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. 
So let's start with one uh, called Cat Cow, which is an easy one to do for everybody, right? Yeah. I would say this is a really nice one to kind of get circulation flowing. And again, the circulation is good to increase blood flow. And this one's a really nice one to kind of help mobility into the spine, loosen things up. Cat cow, essentially, you're on your hands and knees in a tabletop position. And then we connect the breath with the movement. So your inhale, you lift your sitting bones up to the ceiling, and your chest will come forward. So your heart's exposed. It's like a nice little chest stretch. And then on your exhale, you round your spine. So it's a big C shape into your spine, and it's called cat pose because it looks like a scared cat. And what's really great about these, tapping it back into Mojo, is that it's great to strengthen the Kegel muscles, which, Jamie, I know you're super familiar with now. Yes, I am now. And (laughs) these muscles um, are what contract during an orgasm. So strong Kegels produce better, more controlled orgasms. All right. So that's your cat cap. (laughs) Exactly. That's why I started with it. There you go. (laughs) Uh, The next one, which we also demoed on TV, was bridge. Yes. So bridge pose is a really great pose. It's very accessible to people. You're basically lying on your back. Your knees are bent and your arms are resting by your sides for support. And then you're just on the inhalation. Again, we always connect breath with movement in our yoga practice. Your inhale will allow the hips to lift. And then the exhale, you lower the hips back. Now, to build strength, you can just hold it at the top for maybe five or so breaths and then just slowly lower back down. Now, what this does is it's great to help tone the pelvic floor muscles. And when we hold the pose, this is similar, again, to doing a Kegel. Yep. So it's a great, great, great pose. Also really good to help getting circulation going, which boosts our energy. Fantastic. All right. So another pose. Did we do this one on TV, Eagle Pose? We did. Yeah. I think you did it in the chair. That's right. Yes. So what is Eagle Pose? So Eagle, this one's a trickier one. It's a balance pose. Right. But what you're essentially doing is starting on the right side. And because this is a double side pose, so we do the right side and then we balance out the body and you have to do the left side after. So starting with the right, you would press your right foot into the floor And then you're going to cross, so you're standing, and then you cross your left leg over. So imagine as if you were sitting in a chair with your legs crossed. So it's almost like a figure four, right? No, because this one, your inner thighs are connected. So Ah. it's it's like exactly like sitting cross-legged in a chair versus the ankle to the knee figure four. Gotcha. And we're squeezing the legs together, and I'll tell you why in a second. Yep. From here, you're going to sit the hips back, so you should start to feel a lot of like work happening into the legs. And then you're going to take the opposite arm, so the right arm goes over the left, and mm-hmm. then you can either bring your hands to the tops of the shoulders, or you do a bind where both palms, it's like you're giving yourself a high five. Yep. So that's essentially eagle pose. But what this is really good, and and I should say, you can also do this in a chair. If balance is really, really tricky for people, just sit in a chair and cross the legs, cross the arms, and you'll get the same benefits. Yeah, Um, I mean, I wouldn't say it was a challenge when I was doing it in in the chair. But but if, you know, for whatever reason, if the the balancing element is difficult for you or if you have knee issues, you you could certainly do this pose in the chair. Totally. And there's so many reasons why people need to modify. And if it's not working for you, you shouldn't struggle through through the pose, you should modify. Um, It's really about your body, making it accessible to your body. That makes sense. So just to touch on the benefits of Eagle Pose. So when we wrap the limbs, when we bind the limbs, we're cutting off blood flow so that when we release the arms and the legs, 
it sends all this fresh blood flow throughout the body, but in this case, specifically to the cervix, which is great for boosting your mojo. And then because it's a balance pose, you have to be really mentally focused. So if you've got 16,000 things on your mind, this pose will really, really help you kind of just become very present and focus on what's happening in the now versus thinking about all these thoughts. Because actually, if you let your mind wander in a balance pose, and you can try this at home and test this theory yourself, it'll throw your balance off. Whereas if you're very committed and connected, you will find your balance. This is true. So the next pose that we're going to do, I both... I have a love-hate relationship with. Okay. I hate it because it can be painful, mm-hmm. um, uh, but I love it because it's a fantastic stretch, and that's pigeon pose. Yes. So pigeon is an amazing pose to help open up the hips. Yes. And again, you can modify pigeon in lots of different ways. So an alternate to pigeon, if this doesn't work for your knee, if you feel any pressure or pain in the knee, you can come onto your back and just do figure four and you'll right. get the same sensation, the same stretch work. This is really good for people who run or who cycle or spin. Because or sit it, a lot during the day. Right, with, like most of us. Yes, so totally. So how, how does it look? So from a downward dog pose, you take the right leg forward. And again, this is the same one where you want to do the right side and the left side. Yes. So the right knee comes forward towards the wrist. You lower the leg down. And it's... It's like you're creating um, a 90-degree angle, but most of us will never actually get into a perfect 90-degree angle because of tight hips, and we should never force it to that angle. So the knee is bent, and you want to start to feel sensation or the stretch in the outer right hip, glute, maybe even inner thigh. Now, the left leg can either be extended straight back behind you, or you can take another bend into your back leg. So then that would be called the 90-90 or sleeping swan. And then again, like I said, you can do this laying on your back, figure four. Um, You can do it in a chair. Same thing. The right ankle will sit on top of your left knee, and you lean forward to get that stretch. Right. You're you're, you're folding over once once your knees are positioned. Yeah. And what this is, is great for is that it's a really nice one to help reduce stress by calming the nervous system. It puts us into our parasympathetic nervous system versus our flight or fight, our go, go, go state. Yep. And we all know that when we're really stressed and we've got a lot on our mind and we're really busy, that affects you know, our, our desire to kind of be intimate. So this kind of helps you gain perspective, slow down mentally, physically. And it also really helps to open the hip which creates great blood flow and circulation flowing into the pelvis. And it allows you to release tension. The interesting thing with this one is also it releases suppressed emotions. We tend to hold a lot of emotions in our hip, the ones that we suppress, the challenging ones, and this helps to loosen and release. Great. We have time for one quick one. Perfect. And that's bound angle pose. Yeah. So you're going to be laying on your back. Your feet are together and your knees fall open. So it's like a uh, diamond shape with the legs. And this one is strictly for relaxation. If you have a low libido, it helps to send blood flow to the pelvic area. And we know that our blood flow is directly linked to the level of arousal where blood flow goes. So does the energy. And it's a nice opening for the inner thighs, the hips. And the beauty of this pose is you don't need a yoga mat. You can do this in your bed um, right before you fall asleep or to help you relax to reduce any anxiety and tension. Fantastic. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. Will you come back on the show again? Absolutely. Fantastic. 
Thank you for listening to The Tonic. You can download this episode as a podcast on zoomerradio.ca and thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can follow us on Facebook on The Tonic Talk Show or at Jamie Busson on Instagram. For great articles written by Rochelle Winson, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. Tonic's available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighborhoods in Toronto. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or coming on the show, you can email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Please join us next week on the show when we'll discuss how to live longer naturally, the treatment of a torn meniscus, the benefits of early detection through proactive health management, and how to have a healthy gut. Until then, this is Jamie Bosson wishing you a healthy and happy week. Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This has been a paid announcement. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.